an honor and a privilege and a blessing it is for me to be able to bring the word, God's word to us this morning as a church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeremy Bledsoe. I get the privilege to lead college ministry here at Tri-Cities um, and also I'm one of your leaders here at the Johnson City campus. My wife and I, Ariel, my beautiful wife Ariel and I have been married for almost 11 years this July and we have two beautiful children. Our daughter's name is Camille and our son is Clayton and we have a Yorkie Pooh dog named Hurley um, and, and we love us some Hurley. So this morning, before we transition into the text, as Zach just read, um, I want to tell you a little bit about how Ariel and I first met, because for two reasons. One, it's going to transition us in to the text this morning, and two, I love to tell this story. They gave me a microphone, so I'm going for it. So, so you know, I met my wife my senior year of college. It was the first day of the spring semester when I became a senior, and like any diligent college student, I um, was skipping the first day of class, right? Now, now I lead college ministry, so I don't advocate that to our college students to skip the first day of class. But at that time, I did, and, and if, if I'm going to be really transparent and real honest, a buddy and I were hanging out in the student center trying to look cool and look for girls. Um, and for me, that pretty much meant I was wearing some Nike warm-ups with my Yankees hat on backwards, trying to look cool, um, which is not a good method for picking up girls for any single college guys who are trying that. Um, so anyways, after sitting there, you know, skipping that class, I got up to get a Mountain Dew. I, I drank a lot of Mountain Dew in college, and, and I came back with my Mountain Dew, and my wife, Ariel, was sitting in the seat that I was sitting in, right? So she's sitting there, and apparently we knew some of the mutual people, some of the same people, um, but we didn't know each other. So we spent like an hour and a half, two hours with this group of people talking, and the whole time the whole group's here, I'm only focused in on one person, and it's Ariel. It's like this girl had just captivated me. And when we got back up from that break, when it was time to go to class, literally I walked straight to the registrar's office at the college we went to, and I dropped that class. I was like, I'm going to want to know this girl. So I can't have this class, so I'm not even going to go ever. So, 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 I just, so I just dropped it. And so, like, so for like weeks, what had happened was, is like this class was like on a Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday type thing. And I had one class on that day at 8 o'clock in the morning. And this break that I shared with Ariel was like at 10, okay? So what I would do, and I had no other class after the 8 o'clock class. So what I would do is I'd go to school, and I'd go to the 8 o'clock class. At 9 o'clock, I would go in the student center and literally wait for an hour to pretend like I had this break with her at 10 o'clock that I really didn't have. I was just waiting on her. And I would hang out and talk to her for like an hour and a half, okay? And then... I would walk like I had a purpose to the other side of the campus just so I could walk her to the building she went to. And I had no purpose because I really didn't have a class. And then I would have to walk a mile the other direction to get to my car. Okay, so that was the game that I was working with. So guys, you don't think you have game, trust me. I am like out of game. So, so finally, after a few weeks of that, I asked my wife out, right? So I asked her out, and with, with, well, today's not the time to talk about that, but like no game at all in that either. And uh, very awkward. So I asked her out, and we dated for like three, four weeks, and it was beautiful. Oh, it was so beautiful. And until the National Guard base I was a part of got activated, and they told us we were going to deploy to Southwest Asia for a year or two. I'm like, I just met this girl, you know, this girl who I dropped a class for, right? And um, so her and I had some conversations about it, and I said, listen, I know we haven't been dating that long, 
but I'm going to the desert, and my life's going to be on pause for a year or two. It'd be awesome if you were still here when I got back. If not, I get it. You really don't know me all that well. And my beautiful wife, girlfriend at the time, said, no, I'll be here. And she was. When I got home off the plane sometime later, she was the first person there. But during that time when I was in Southwest Asia doing some military stuff, we wrote each other letters. We wrote each other letters. And the first time I was over there, it was like 150-some days. And at the end of each letter, I would write one reason why I missed my wife. I would say, I miss holding your hand. I miss your sense of humor. I miss your red curly hair. It's just every day, something different on the letters, right? And then after I was done writing those letters, I would address them, Ariel Weaver, and then her address. And then three weeks to a month later, she would actually get them because it takes a minute to get it from there to, to West Virginia where we're from. And so the, so the letter would get to her house, and no matter who got the mail at her house, Ariel's the one that opened the letter. She's the one that opened the letter because it was addressed to her. Because the letter was addressed to her because it was based on things that her and I had a foundation on in our relationship. Our relationship was already solidified. You know, we were, we were going to try to make a go at this, right? The letter was not addressed to her stepdad. How weird would that have been if her stepdad would have opened up the letter and been like, I miss holding your hand. <laughs> I miss looking into your eyes. That'd be weird, right? Right? It'd also be weird if Ariel and I never would have actually dated. She would have said no to me, and yet I'm sending her these weird letters, right? I, she would probably would have like filled out like an international restraining order, like, yeah, you're not allowed to come back on this side of the ocean. You've got to stay away, right? The reason I tell you this is because when we look at the letter, we look at the book of Colossians, it's a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Colossae. To people who already had a foundation in Jesus Christ, these folks had already placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, Christ alone for their salvation, saved by grace through faith. This letter was to them. It was not to unbelievers. So I say this, if you're an unbeliever in this room right now, first of all, let me say welcome, thank you. We are so, so glad that you were here. And there may be things about Jesus and about the Christian life that you just don't understand, that you don't get, that you might think is a little weird, and that's okay. That is completely okay. God is big enough for your questions. He's big enough for my questions. I just pray that as a result of God's word today, that you're able to see the person of Jesus Christ more clearly and your need for him more clearly. And for the believers in the room, the things that Paul writes about uh, in Colossians, this is true of their life, and it's also true of yours because you are a believer in Christ. So before we go any further, if you all would just pray with me, please. Um, we'll bow our heads. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and Christ alone, who is the power to save. Dear Lord, we're able to come to you as sons and daughters. Dear Lord, that are just redeemed. Dear Lord, we have an eternal life in you. Our hope and our salvation is secure in you. Our joy is secure in you. Dear Lord, we come to you. Dear Lord, speak to us through your word. Dear Lord, open our minds and our hearts. Dear Lord, may you be on display this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we dive into the passage, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to go on ahead and, and, go on ahead and, and turn there. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. But before we start to unpack it, let's just kind of revisit the letter to the Colossians. Okay, so what, why Paul is writing them. Okay, so there are some false teachers that have 
that have entered into the church of Colossae, and they're, and they're teaching, um, they're attacking the supremacy of Christ, the fullness of God in Christ. They're attacking the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. They're, they're, they're teaching a, a Jesus and theology. They're saying, well, you know, yeah, you have Jesus for your salvation. You have Jesus, but you need more knowledge, more philosophy. Or you have Jesus for the foundation of your salvation. Yeah, but what about all these, these rules that you're not following? These foods that you um, are, are eating or, or the things that you're doing. Or you have Jesus, but have you had this mountaintop experience? Have, have you gotten goosebumps on the top of Roan Mountain? You know, and you've seen angels. Have you seen this? Right? And, they're, and, they're, and, and Paul's refuting this in a letter to the book, uh, to the letter to the church of Colossae. And let's just revisit this just real quick, just to recap what we've learned in the first two chapters. Because what Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is, is it's a bridge from what we know doctrinally uh, to be true in the first two chapters to how what those implications are for the rest of the book. So Paul's response to the attack regarding the supremacy of Jesus Christ, he says this in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the, invi- he is the image of the invisible God. All right, so he's talking about Jesus here. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. So by Jesus Christ, everything was created. In the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now skip down to verse 19. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is fully God. He's, he's making sure that foundation is crystal clear. Jesus is fully God. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of the Christ, by blood of his cross. So Jesus is the creator of all things. We live in a post-Genesis 3 world, a broken world, and God who created you is also the one that's reconciling you back to him, and he's fully God. So Jesus is the one true God. He is supreme. But then Paul also goes on in chapter 2, and he responds to the, to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Colossians 2, 8 through 14. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, right? And empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to elemental spirits of the world, rituals, laws, and not according to Christ. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's fully God. And now you are filled in him. So, so God, who's, who Jesus, who is fully God, now dwells in you if you are in him. You have that fullness inside of you. And he is the head of all rule and authority. For in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. We saw this this morning, this beautiful picture of salvation in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the debt of the record or the debt that stood against us in the legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. Paul's making that crystal clear right here to the church of Colossae. I want to make that crystal clear to everybody here. We've been buried with him in baptism. Such a beautiful picture this morning. We've been buried with him in baptism, but we've been raised to a, 
a new life in Jesus Christ, an eternal life where our life is hidden and secure in Jesus Christ. But it's not only just that. Jesus just isn't sufficient for our salvation. Jesus even taught that he is actually the only way to be saved. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this to the disciples. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're an unbeliever here, I just want you to know, I'm making this point not to be arrogant, not to be puffed up. I'm saying this humbly and out of love, that the truth is found in God's word. Salvation is in no one else but Jesus Christ. And I pray when you leave here that if you remember anything else, don't think about rules, don't think about regulations, don't think about any kind of church hurt that you've had. Just think and just set your gaze on Jesus. Just look for Jesus. I want that for you. So as we go into today's passage, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm very, very simple. So I'm, nobody, when I graduated seminary, gave me the superlative most likely to write a book. Okay, that was, that's not me. Derek, maybe. Not, definitely not me. Um, so with that being said, I like to keep things simple. So when we look at this passage, we're going to look at the, the who, the what, the how, and the why. Okay, so we're just going to kind of make things a little simple, mainly for me. So first of all, let's look at the who. Okay, so who. Um, the who are the, those in Colossae in Christ who have already placed their saving faith in Jesus Christ. We see this in Colossians 3, 1 through 8, or 3, 1, first part of 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ. So think about that word raised really quick. That's past tense. It's already happened. They've already placed faith in Jesus Christ. They've died to themselves. They've been raised to this new life. So what I want you to get here is Paul's not getting ready to lay down a list of rules and regulations of how you can be saved. He's not giving you a magic formula on how you can be saved. He's already, he's already made it very clear in the first two chapters, saved by Christ alone. Okay, so he's, that's who he's talking to right here. So he's talking to people in the church of Colossae who have already placed saving faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the who. Okay, so that was easy, right? So we got the who covered. Not the band, the who, which is a good band, but not the who. So now let's move to the what. So the what. Colossians 3.1. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Okay, so seek the things that are above. And this word seek means you're, you're trying to get something that you desire. Okay, you're not just looking for just something like I'm just, you know, looking for a bathroom here in a second, right? No, I don't know why I use that analogy, but... Um, but, you know, you're, you're seeking for something you have a great desire for. You know, so, I mean, just think of what you desire in your life. Like, for me, um, most of y'all who do know me, I love coffee. And I don't just like any coffee. Like, I grew up working at a gas station when I was 15, and that's when I started drinking coffee. And gas station coffee at, at the Milton Exxon in West Virginia was okay for me. But now I've kind of upgraded a little bit. Like, Ben McNabb, where's Ben at? Steel Rails Coffee, some great coffee. I love that coffee. And, you know, Starbucks, I had that this morning. You know, and when Ariel and I travel. Ariel grew up in a family of, you know, there was four kids, and when they traveled, they consolidated, they consolidated stops. So if they're on a 10-hour drive, you consolidate your restroom, your food, coffee, all that in one, in one stop, because we only going to stop like one or two times. 
In me, that's not how I roll. If this place, this exit has a clean bathroom, I'm stopping at this exit. If two exits down has Starbucks, guess what we're going to do again? We're going to stop at Starbucks, right? And, and Ariel thinks that I'm high maintenance. She can, and, and she, she says this. She's, she's made this comment before that I'm high maintenance. And it's like, like when we go to the beach, okay, so our route is controlled by coffee. When we get to the beach house, the first thing I do is get coffee and everything lined up in the kitchen. So when I wake up tomorrow morning at the beach, then I'm going to wake up to good coffee. Okay, and then how we plan our day walking around town in this beach town is going to be like, okay, so we're going to eat here, but then we got to wait because coffee's over here. It's just like, it's a problem. Um, but anyways, but it's something I desire, so I seek after. Okay, I have the Starbucks app, so I know where all my Starbucks are. Um, so what is Paul telling us, telling the church of Colossae to seek after with this type of desire? He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So it's like, Paul, okay, the right hand of God, what does that mean? Well, he gives us, a, a, he clears this up a little bit in Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 about where Christ is. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So Jesus has been raised from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which in his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is in, the place in, a, is in a place of authority over all things. When, when we come to know Jesus Christ and we, we repent and we believe, it's not just, I mean, we're, we're accepting him as our Savior because we need a Savior to, to save us from our sin. But we're also declaring that he is our King, he is our Lord. We're going to follow him. His kingdom now means that it, he rules sovereignly in and through our lives, okay? So as redeemed Jesus followers being raised with Christ, being in Christ, we're following him as our King and Savior, his desires should be our desires. Jesus taught the disciples to seek him and his kingdom above all else, above everything else. Um, in Matthew six thirty three, you know, when he's, Jesus is teaching the disciples about not to worry about, you know, I know you need food, you need all these things to survive on this earth. Food, water, shelter, all those things, you know, money, I know you need all these things. But Jesus, what does he say? He says, but seek, this type, still the same type of seek with desire. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. All things. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have an abundance of food, an abundance of money, abundance of X, Y, and Z. What he's saying is when you seek my kingdom and you seek Jesus above all else, he promises you you'll get Jesus. And then your all in all will be satisfied. It will. He even told the disciples to pray like this in Matthew 13, 44. He said, pray like this. The kingdom of heaven... Oh, I'm sorry. That's the next uh, section, by the way. So he gave an example of what this desire looks like. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So we don't know whether this man who bought this field, whether whether he was a rich man or a poor man, we don't know. But what we do know is, 
is he saw something in that field, and it was worth him to sell everything else he had to gain. So when we desire Jesus Christ and his kingdom in our lives, his sovereign rule in our lives above everything else, everything else will seem so much secondary to Jesus. And Jesus did teach his disciples to pray this way. In Matthew 6, 9 through 10, Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that way, church, we're praying with open hands. And this is scary, I know. But we're praying with open hands saying, God, more than anything, I want your kingdom to come in my life and in this world. Take what you want to take away. Give me what you want to give me because you're worth it. And that's scary. That's scary. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have problems desiring the same things that God desires. I do. I mean, so the who, you know, we're in Christ, right? So we're in Christ, and Paul's telling us since that's who you are, the what is, seek the desires of God. Pray for those desires of God. Pray for his kingdom, his rule in your life. Take away the things that you need to take away. Give me the things you need to give. But for me personally, that's difficult. It's difficult in my finances. It's difficult in my marriage and how I raise our kids. It's difficult in ministry. Let's just be honest with you. you know, there's, there's a lot of things that I would love to see for our church. Things that are probably good things, right? But is it God's will? Because the church, he's the head of the church, right? So he's the head of the church, not me. It's his kingdom, not mine. So when the leaders here at Tri-Cities, and we just had a retreat this weekend, but you know, we come to God with open hands saying, God, take what you want to take, give you what you want to give, just off your glory. And that's tough. But we've got to trust him. Um, you know, just talking to Pastor Derek this morning. Think how we've, if, we've, if we've trusted, if we're in Christ and we've trusted, if we've trusted Jesus with the most important thing that we have, in, which is our salvation, our eternal life, and it's hidden and buried and secure with Jesus Christ, how can we not tr- trust him with every other area of our life? We've got to. So, if you're like me, you may have issues trusting Jesus, desiring what he desires, you know what, and that's natural because we can't conjure up feelings for Jesus. You know, we can try all that we want, but we're just not going to create that within ourselves. So this is where the how comes in. Paul's very very explicit about how we desire God and his kingdom. He says, Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So what he's saying is continually concentrate and meditate on God. So if we know God reveals himself primarily through his word, through his scripture, then that's what we need to concentrate and meditate on. And what Paul's telling the church of Colossae, he's not saying have your quiet time in the morning and don't think about it again until tomorrow morning. He's not saying go to church on Sunday and hear somebody stand up on a stage and, and, and preach the word and don't think about it again until next Sunday. What he's saying is to continually meditate and concentrate on my word. Think about my word. Think about what it means in your life. And Paul's telling the church this. He's telling them to concentrate on God's word because he knows 
that only the power of God's word transforms people's hearts. If you want to desire the things of Jesus Christ, your heart has to be transformed. In order for that to happen, you have to be in God's word. It's the power of God's word that transforms our hearts. Paul tells us this in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, and this isn't something new that Paul came up with, you know, when he was writing this letter. God has been telling his people this since the beginning of time. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, God is telling his people, people of Israel, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's setting your desires on him, right? You're setting desires on him. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you'll talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. That is so clear. God wants us to meditate on his word because he knows that it's by the power of his word that we're transformed. He knows by the power of his word that it stirs affections in our hearts so we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. You know, so how does this look like? What does this look like in our life, right? We're not really, I mean, I haven't really been past too many people's houses who've written scripture on the doorpost. I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what a doorpost is. I know what a door is, Right? But he, what, he's, what we do is we have our quiet time with God. We spend time alone with God, reading the Bible in prayer. We come here on Sunday, right? We hear preaching of the word. That's another way to, to hear God's word and to think about these things, right? We also here at Tri-Cities, we have a thing called the Family Discipleship Plan. The resources are online. We integrate that in some of the kids' ministry stuff. And listen to me, it's not the only way to disciple your children. It's not the only way to disciple your children in the word of God, but it is a really good way. Those resources are there. Ariel and I have used those somewhat with, our, with, with Camille, and we're trying to do better at that. Not because we're just trying to be better super parents at Tri-Cities. That's not it, guys. Listen, I see when we disciple Camille in God's word, we teach her God's word, she becomes more inquisitive about the things of God. She does. And his, and his parents, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox here, but his parents were the primary disciple makers of our children. Part of disciple making is a relationship. You build a relationship with somebody and you feed them God's word. And you try to, you try to uh, you know, build them up in God's word. Well, part of that relationship part, you don't already have, it's not like you have to go to Starbucks and meet somebody you've never met. You already have a foundation with your children. It's right there. It's right there. I'm just going to say one more thing about that too. You know, so any kid born between 1982-ish to the year 2000 is considered a millennial, okay? So I deal with college students all the time. It is awesome. And they're the millennial generation. So the millennial generation, anybody born between 1982-ish and 2000, millennial generation, largest generation that exists in the United States today, largest generation, 78 million millennials in the United States today. That's bigger than the baby boomers, 78 million, okay? So that's tough to get your mind wrapped around. Well, think about this. They've surveyed it. Only 15% of the 78 million profess Christianity. 
15% of 78 million. If you're not discipling your kids, I promise you nothing in the world is. Facebook's not. Instagram's not. Twitter's not. Snapchat's not. The universities aren't. They're not. And this isn't a, and this isn't a persecution on college. I'm an advocate for college. Get trained, get equipped so you can leverage your life, leverage your career for the gospel. But we've got to disciple our kids. God's been telling us that. So why don't the things of this world stir our affections, stir our affections for Christ? Why is Paul saying, look to the things of Christ and not of the things of the world? Why is he saying that? The first reason is, is Christ is not of this world. Jesus says this in John 18, 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. And I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And because you are now in Christ, you are no longer of the world. He says in John 17, 16, talking to the Father, he's in a prayer, they are not of the world, meaning those in Christ are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And the world will not point you to Jesus. So Jesus is not of this world, we're not of this world if we're in Christ, and the world won't point you to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The world's not going to point us to Jesus Christ. It's just like with Ariel and I. You know, I wrote Ariel those letters, and part of those letters were just because I just wanted to have some sort of communication with her because I loved her, okay? Part of it was to keep her interested in me. It's like, I might be gone a year or two. I'm not there, so maybe I'll write you letters. Maybe you'll think about me. It wouldn't have been the same as if instead of me writing her letters, a buddy of mine from back home just started talking to my wife and writing her letters. If he was telling her the things that I was telling her, but he was saying it about him, that wasn't going to stir her affections for me. It's not a good, it's not a good uh, boyfriend move, guys. Listen, don't have, your, don't have your buddy talk to your girl to say the things you want to say. It doesn't. It's not going to work. So just like that would stir Ariel's gaze off of me to somebody else, even much more than that, because it's such a trans- heart transformation, the power of God has in our lives. We've got to look to God and his word and not the things of the world. Does this, does this make sense? Are you all tracking with me on that? Is that clear? Because I don't have another good picture on that one. Um, so th- does this mean that we disengage from the world? No, by no means. When we desire the same things that Jesus Christ desires, when our heart and our life is secure in him, we engage the world with a kingdom-minded perspective. And the Great Commission is so clear about this. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Then John seventeen eighteen, As you sent me into this world, so I've sent them into this world. When when we are in Christ and our desires line up with his desires and our thoughts are with his thoughts, and we, it gives us a new perspective, gives us a kingdom-minded perspective in which we are sent into the world. When Ariel and I did date in the beginning, when I wasn't in the National Guard, I worked at Circuit City. Anybody remember Circuit City? Oh, yeah. So the cool thing about Circuit City is, is I sold big-screen TVs, right? And then also, you know, PlayStation was around, so if you're not busy, you could play PlayStation on a big-screen TV. It just worked out. So, but with big screen TVs, people would always come in all the time and say, what big, t- what big screen TV has the best picture? Is it the Atachi, the Sony, the Mitsubishi, you know, all these things? 
which one has the best picture? And it's like you've got 30 TVs to look at, and it's a little overwhelming, right? So much stuff to look at, so overwhelming, you know, see which one's better, because they're all pretty good looking, right? And the thing we would always tell them, because it's true, is what you want is look at the, look at the picture. They're all playing the same little DVD of the same thing, so you look at the same thing. The ones where the blacks are really blacks and the whites are really whites, it puts all the other colors in perspective. When the blacks are true and the whites are true, the blues, the yellows, all that other stuff will line up. The point I'm making here, guys, is when our heart is hidden and secure with Jesus, when our life is secure in him, and we begin to desire the same things that he desires, we see the world as he sees the world. We no longer look at lost people in Johnson City the same way. We no longer look at the people in our workplaces who are unbelievers the same way. We don't look at the college students on our campus that are unbelievers the same way. And I've got to believe that we don't look at the two and a half billion people on this planet who don't have access to the gospel the same way. We don't look at them the same way. We look at them the way Jesus looks at them. We desire salvation for them. It changes everything. We realize who Jesus is and our heart lines up with him. It changes our desires. So why is this really quickly? Paul explains who the who is because we're raised with Christ. Our life is secure and hidden with Christ. What do we do? We seek him and his desires. How do we do this in his word? By the power of his word. And why? He says in Colossians 3, 3 through 4, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We have, this is the why. Because we have died to our sin, and we now have a new life in Christ. Galatians 2, 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now I, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 1 John five eleven, John writes this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Church, listen, if you're in Christ, your life is secure it is secure. Your eternal life is secure in Jesus Christ. But because we now have an eternal life in Jesus Christ, and it's him who lives in us, we no longer live to ourselves. It's him, the fullness of Christ, who dwells in us. Because of that, we now live for his eternal purpose, not our earthly purposes of the flesh, but for his eternal purpose. That's what we're living for. And we will one day share in his eternal glory forever. We get to be with him forever. That's the prize. Okay, granted, hell's a real place. It would stink to really go there. Great. I mean, like, we, we all acknowledge that, right? But more than that, we actually get to spend time with the Father. He's, he's the prize. We actually get him. We get Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Christ alone is how we're saved. Christ alone and his purposes is why we live this life on earth. Christ alone is our eternal pride. It's all about Jesus. That's the reason if you're an unbeliever in this room, I'm pointing to Jesus. I'm not pointing to a rule, a regulation, a bunch of things to do, a bunch of things to not do. I'm pointing you to Jesus because if you see how beautiful Jesus is, it changes everything. 
So I just have just a few questions in the last few minutes that we have. What would it look like if our desires were the same as God's desires? How would that change our prayer life, church? If we prayed with open hands saying, God, you are king and savior. How be your name, your kingdom come in, your li- in my life. Take what you want. Give me what you want. What if we trusted him like that? What if we trusted him with our marriages like that and we desired the same things he desires for our marriages? Husbands, look up at me. If we desired for our wife the same thing that Christ desired for our wife, It'd be more like Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. We would look at our wives first and foremost as our sister in Christ before anything else. And we would live for her in that marriage. We would try to build her up in Christ for her joy and for God's glory. And we wouldn't live for what we could get out of that marriage for ourselves. It wouldn't be about, well, I'm not getting this need met, this and that. No, no. We see the purpose. We're to build our wives up. How would it change how we disciple our children? How would it, spend, would it change how we spend our time with our kids? Um, one of my professors in seminary, Timothy Paul Jones, he said something to one of our lectures. It just really just changed how I looked at my kids. It just changed. It just rocked my world. It really did. And I'm paraphrasing this, by the way, so this isn't a direct quote. But he said this. When you see who your children really are in light of the gospel, it'll change how you view your role as a parent. Your children are not just your sons and daughters. They are your potential brothers and sisters in Christ. If your kids haven't accepted Christ, they're not in Christ. But you look at them and you raise them and you teach them, just like Deuteronomy 6 says, you raise them in Christ. You try to... You know, you do everything you can to build them up in Christ because they're your potential brothers and sisters in Christ. So in light of the gospel, we should be reaching our children for God's glory and for their salvation. But it's not just that. It didn't just stop there once they come to know Christ. We should be equipping our children to be sent out to the world for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Now for some of us and our kids, some of us in this room, well, all of us in this room, we're, if we're in Christ, we're called to go. We're not called to get discipled, to get this head knowledge that just kind of gives us an emotional response. We're called to go. Now, for some of us and our children, go means Johnson City. For some of us and our children, go means maybe somewhere else. Maybe your kid's going to go off to school somewhere else. Maybe it's to go to Portland, Oregon. I don't know. But here's the scary part. But if our life is secure in Christ and hidden in Christ, we've got to completely trust him with everything else in our life. For some of your kids after college or during their summer breaks, it's to go to Africa. It's to go to the Middle East. It's to go to China. Our kids, our potential brothers and sisters in Christ, are part of that great commission. Go make disciples all people of all nations. That's true of us. That's true of our children. When we start to desire the things of God, we're no longer, we're no longer just trying to hold our treasure right here and just keep it all to ourselves. We desire what God desires. We desire what God desires for this world and for those who are lost. And we send them. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Um, and we're going to pray. And if you're in Christ... I invite you to spend the next couple of minutes 
just praying to the Lord and asking the Lord to search your heart. What are you desiring more than you're desiring Jesus Christ? What are you not trusting God for in your life? What are your affections set on other than Jesus? And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that God, by the power of his word this morning, has drawn you to him. And if you have questions or you want to know more about how to accept Jesus Christ, to have your eternal life secure and hidden in Christ alone, if you want to accept him as your king and savior, during this time or after the service, come find me, come find Pastor Derek, Larry, Ben, anybody on our team in the back. We would love, love to talk to you more about this. So if y'all will bow and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, you were so good. Dear Lord, you sent your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, for your glory and for our salvation. You've given us your word. You speak to us through your word. You allow us to enter your presence in prayer. Dear Lord, I ask you this for my life and the life of my family and our church family. Take what you want. Give us what you want for your glory and your kingdom. May we trust in you and love you. Dear Lord, and if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, please, please turn their affections towards you. Allow them to trust you with their life. The Lord, that they won't keep chasing after rules and regulations and experiences and this and that to direct their life or to give them true happiness, the Lord, but they see Jesus Christ on display in his glory and his love and his mercy. And they give their lives to you, O oh Lord. Lord, please be with us through this week and just send us out. Send our families out to wherever it is you're calling us to. In Jesus' name. Amen.